You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. But man, excited that you're here today, excited for Father's Day, really is an awesome, awesome uh, day. I've been excited about it, uh, having, you know, my, my two crazy kids running around the house doing their thing, and uh, excited about this morning. We got these really cool, let me grab one real fast, Jensen, lean back so we're still six feet apart. Thank you, bud. I got these really uh, cool koozies here that say, Hi, Thirsty, I'm Dad. And then if you're watching online, they're like, what is he drinking? This would be uh, Pepsi, non-alcoholic. Um, and these are in the lobbies if your dad or a spiritual father or an uncle who's been a really key part or a stepdad or whatever. If you really have been a father figure to someone, I want to encourage you to grab uh, one of these on your way out, uh, if you haven't grabbed one already, or uh, if your dad isn't able to make it, but you want to bring one to him, I just encourage you, grab one. Uh, we love and support fathers. So I want to do this. If you are a dad, spiritual father, stepdad, foster dad, grandfather, uh, fatherly uncle, whatever, in any way, shape, or form, would you just stand real quick so we can just honor and celebrate you, stepdads, in any form. Awesome. We have our kids are going to bring you some stuff real quick. Our awesome kids. Go for it, guys. Everybody that you see standing, just run and give them one. Ready? Who can do it the fastest? On your mark, get set, go. Oh, they're going. Oh, whoa, whoa. Oh, they're just, okay. That's their dad. That is their dad. That they, that wasn't, but awesome. Oh, jeez. What instructions did you give these children? Violently assault the fathers of the church with sunflower seeds. We love you. Here's a black guy from a six-year-old. <laughs> awesome. All right, kids, as quickly as you threw them out, run back now. On your mark, get set, go. Awesome. Good job. Can we give our kids a round of applause? Good job. Um, I don't know if you guys knew this. We have a uh, uh, we're just graced at our church with some dads with some incredible talents, and we have probably the world premiere uh, dad jokist uh, here with us this morning at our church, and uh, the one Mr. Jake Craig. Can you invite Jake up this morning? Thank you for the intro there. <clears throat> so I, uh, I wanted to start today off with a confession. Um, I've never been a big fan of facial hair until it grew on me. So, um, I don't know if you guys know this, there's a concert in town, only costs 45 cents. Can anyone guess what that concert is? 50 Cent featuring Nickelback. And then uh, my last one, my favorite one, is from my wife, and it is, what is brown and sticky? A stick. That's it. <laughs> Good job. Hey, we love you, uh, fathers, uh, foster fathers, spiritual fathers, everyone. I just want to pray for you this morning. So if you're near a father, would you just, uh, uh, if you're part of their family unit, I guess, if not just socially distant, reach a handout, or in your heart, reach your handout. We're going to pray for them this morning. God, we thank you this morning for the fathers in our church. God, we are just so blessed by them, whether they're here at Scottsdale or watching online, that we are all gathered together. I just pray a blessing over them. I pray a peace over them as they lead, as they guide, as they walk through life uh, with that mantle. And so we just pray over them an encouragement and a strength in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. 
I love that. That was a great dad joke. Jake won a contest we did last year for dad jokes. It was awesome. Um, I was thinking about my dad and kind of what we did together. I don't know if he's in here today. Perfect. There you are. <laughs> um, uh, when I was a kid, we went, um, my nose is itching, hold on. Ooh, facial hair and the mask, man, just gets me. Hold on. There we go. Um, uh, we, we went to Washington, D.C., and we were part of this uh, men's prayer gathering in Washington, D.C. It was awesome. It was part of Promise Keepers at the time, and man, it was so cool. And we um, wanted to tour Washington, D.C., and so we were on foot, and uh, we started at like the Capitol building, and we wanted to go all the way, I think it was to the Lincoln Memorial, which if you know anything about Washington, D.C., that's like the farthest point of major attractions that you can go. So it's like a 45-minute walk, I think, but with kids, because kids walk slower, if you need to get, just try this, if you need to get somewhere in a hurry, just try walking there with your children. They'll find a way to walk slower than humanly possible. So we had kids, we had things, we're walking, and we get a little lost, and he was always like, um, okay, we're going to go here, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. So we needed a guide. And this is pre-GPS, right? Pre-GPS, you needed two things. Well, three things. A sense of just general direction, or a map, or someone who knew, right? You needed a guide. So we had this friend named Omar, my dad's really good friend, who's going to be our guide. And I'm going to paint a picture of Omar for you so you can see him in the story. Omar was probably a good three bills, big Cuban guy who played defense on uh, the University of Miami football team. Big dude, big Cuban dude, awesome guy. Um, really uh, boisterous and dynamic would be, just in case he's listening. Um, and uh, fun guy. He's going to be our guide because apparently he's been to D.C. a bunch of times. I still don't know how true that is um, after having been there with him. Um, and so he's going to be our guide. So he's leading us from uh, the Capitol building to the Lincoln Memorial, which I know now as an adult is just a straight shot. Um, we did not go that way. <laughs> and so he's leading us, and he would always say, it's just over the next hill. Now having witnessed D.C., I would say, what hills? <laughs> it's, it's flat. That's just over the next hill. The only hills they build are the ones that, like, make monuments. So just over the next hill, so we're walking, we're walking. We decide, as we're on this winding journey, to go to the Law Enforcement Museum, specifically the FBI. I don't know why we picked this museum. I, it was there. We retired. I know. I was, like, 12. So we all go to go into the law enforcement museum. They have a metal detector. And so when you got to take everything out of your pocket. So Omar's behind us. We all go through, and we're waiting on the other side of the metal detector, waiting for them to come through. And it's like, no matter how many times you go through a metal detector, you kind of always secretly hope, man, I hope everyone makes it. I don't know what that is. I feel that at baseball games. But as he's coming through the metal detector, the metal detector goes off. And so the, metal de the person um, watching him, works for the FBI, and says to Omar, do you have anything in your pockets? Which is like, they say it in a way of like, have you never been through a metal detector before, right? Like, do you have anything in your pockets? To which his face lights up. And at this point, I need to tell you a secret about Omar. Omar, the 300-pound Cuban from Miami. Omar was a magician. <laughs> And when you ask a magician to empty their hands or pockets, you have broken into a world that they are secretly waiting, that you say. They are desperately waiting for this moment. They live their lives and wait for what's in your hands. And the, right? They're waiting. 
So Omar sees his moment, but doesn't really read the room. Remember, FBI. And looks at the FBI agent and says, yes, and begins to pull things out of his pockets, out of the air, different things in front of this uh, young gal who's an FBI agent. And the more he would try to do, you know, you got the, the, the tissue, and you're pulling it out, all these things, right? You guys, you've seen a magician before? Ever, nobody said anything, so I just assume you've never. Magicians, they do tricks. Okay, good. Okay, good. Everyone, I can't tell with the mask. If you don't say anything, I can't tell if you're smiling. Um, so he begins to do all these things, and the more he does, the less she looks happy, which inspires him to try to make her more happy, and he makes it his goal to make her smile. I don't know if you know anybody that works for a government building in the FBI. Not a lot of smiling. And so as he's going, he gets to his final move. This is the piece de resistance. And he reaches quickly towards her face, which I could have told you was going to be a problem, just knowing people, reaches quickly towards her face and pulls out a jet. She goes, is there anything else in your pockets? He says, oh, no, but there is this. <laughs> and pulls out a giant coin from behind her ear. And the moment he lunges his 300-pound hand towards her face, she goes, put your hands on the table, and just shuts everything down, right? He's, like, got his hands on the table. We're all on the other side of this. Now, we weren't helping, specifically my dad. He's yelling things like, why don't you tell him your real name, Omar? Right? You know, they're, they're trying to sneak him through. And he's on the other side. We're here. We're like, you know what, man? <laughs> I, I just I remember this moment, like, we'll catch you later. Uh, we'll see you. So we all left, and we did what we should have done, which is we got a map, and we followed the map, right? And my dad led us, and we just, it was a big rectangle, and we just followed, it's a straight line. We followed the straight line. And I think we saw Omar, like, I don't know, whatever that was, four or five days later. We didn't talk to him about it, you know, you don't want to know what goes on back there. And, uh, but it's important, especially in a place that was unknown, when you're somewhere where you do not know what is next, it is important to be following the right person. Just like in D.C., it mattered who led us, right? Where we ended up, the condition with which we ended up there. The same thing is true in life. It matters in life who leads you. And just like D.C. was unknown for me as a young kid, I think if 2020 has taught us anything, it is that the future is abundantly unknown for all of us. And that what is around the next corner, around the next bend. Guys, we had murder hornets this year, and it wasn't even the biggest thing in the news. Think about that. There were hornets that murder people. And we don't, where are they? Do they go back? Right? It's not even the biggest thing going on. Think about that. That's the year. So everywhere I look, I don't, I don't even go on social media. I went on vacation for six days. I came back. I was like, yep, everyone's still fighting on the internet. Guess I don't need this anymore. Right? It's like there's just the future is so unknown. We live in a space of unknown, and it's always been unknown. We've just convinced ourselves that we knew it. And since we can't always decide or define our future, what is really defining our future is who we follow. Since you're walking in the unknown, you do not know the future. It truly matters who you follow. Fathers, I, I think we have a weight on us. As I was thinking about Father's Day, and I got my two kids, and I look at Henry and Lucy, and they're just awesome and wild, and I, you know, they're, they're the best. But there's a weight, right? Who I follow determines where we end up, how we end up. 
It defines the legacy I leave for my children. I have a responsibility to my kids because who leads me will determine how I lead them. Are you with me? Who leads me will determine how I can lead them. The best way you can lead your family is to follow the leader. Whoever is leading you today will define how you lead your family. To lead well, listen, young, old, married, not married, kids, no kids, to lead well, you must be led well. Let me say that again. To lead well, you must be led well. So we've been in the series, The Lord's Prayer, and uh, Jensen did an awesome job last week. Didn't he do amazing? It was awesome. So talented. Just so sharp, tall, single. <laughs> Trying to help you out, man. <laughs> we've been in the Lord's Prayer series, and I've just been so blessed, you know, writing these liturgies and, and these prayers and really, you know, building this together, and I, and I love that we're ending with something really powerful this week, because this last verse of the Lord Prayer, I think not only sums up the whole thing, but it gives us this really clear direction to, to step out into, and so I want to read the whole Lord's Prayer kind of over you this morning, and so just, I know we've, we've read it, and we've read it every week, but I encourage you just put on fresh ears, be, have a, you know, a fresh heart and an open heart, and I'm going to read it to you today. It says, Matthew 6, 9 through 13, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Verse 13. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Man, what a powerful thing. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That, that, those first words there, lead us. Lead us. Everybody with me say, lead us. Come on, let's say it like, like you care. Lead us. Lead us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's a very specific request. And, and, and I want to give some clarity here before I jump into all, all the points and all that. What it's not saying is God Please don't tempt me with sins. As if God is this manipulative puppeteer who has this list of sins. It's like, let's see if they fall into this one this time. It's very important that we don't see God as this manipulator of temptations who's trying to see, like, will they prove themselves? Will they not? Now, there is just testing and trials of life, and we're told even Jesus was led in the desert where he was tempted. But who's tempting him? It's Satan. It's not the Lord. This is important, James 1, 12. I just want to clarify this. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he's tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it, has get, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Let, let me kind of phrase this in a way that, that kind of helps us understand it. The way Jesus says it is so perfect, but let me kind of expand to help us understand. In this world, you will face trial, temptation, and difficulty. But our prayer is, God, lead us in the victory that comes through you. Are you with me? That's the difference. 
It's praying, God, lead us well so that we might live well. By live well, I'm not talking about bank accounts, boats, things like that. I'm saying the state of my soul might be in complete alignment with you. My heart might follow you. I might live in peaceful unity with you. God, lead us well so that we might live well and lead our families well. Are you still with me? This is an important distinction because I don't want us to get into some like weird workspace doctrine or something like that where we're trying to earn our way in or afraid that God's going to like, oh yeah, God like led me to some website just to test me. It's like, no, no, that's the enemy and your flesh. So it's an important understanding that we have here as people. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You know, in culture, there's, there's so many things that try to lead us, that try to, to lead us and guide us. And it's important to understand who is leading me as a person. Like at my core, there's lots of influences and style and music and all these things. But who leads me? Who directs me in my path? Why is that important? It's important because so much of your life will be defined by who leads you. Have you ever reflected on a portion of your life and thought, a lot of the direction I went was defined by the people that were leading me? A couple things I want to share then. Why is this so important? Because who leads you defines where you go. If you're with me and you're taking notes, whether you're online or with us in person, you can write that down. Who leads you defines where you go. The prayer is, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. When we did youth, I used to say, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Show me who you surround yourself with, and I'll show you your future. It's interesting that we don't call it leadership anymore. We call it influence. Why? Because leadership implies responsibility. If you're an influencer, you have your opinion, but you don't possess any responsibility. Have you noticed the culture shift because of that? So now we're uh, social media influencers. And I know, some, I know some people that are social media influencers, and they're awesome people. So what I'm saying is not to put down social media influence, but that we might evaluate ourselves. Are you with me? So if you're watching online, social media influencer, we love you. We bless you. Uh, you know, influence people in the good way. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is we have this idea of influence now. Influencing us to what? Everywhere we go, someone is influ influencing us what to wear, how to act, what to care about. Everywhere we look, there's influence, influence, influence. It's not leadership because there's no responsibility. You don't owe anybody anything. If you're influencing somebody, it's not like you have a responsibility. If I influence my children, I have a responsibility. That's why it's called leading my family. If I'm just influencing my family, I mean, Aladdin influences my family, right? Frozen influences my family. But like Elsa has no responsibility to my children. Thank goodness. <laughs> she doesn't seem like she's very responsible. But as much as we have had some positive, some negative idea of influence, we have a crisis because we're so influenced by things, by people, by forces that have no responsibility to us. So we used to say, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. And I, and I would more aptly say, show me who you follow on social media, and I'll show you where you're going to end up. Show me who you follow, and I'll show you what you're going to care about. Show me who you follow, and I guarantee you I can show you your priority, your words, your perspective. I guarantee you I could look at your follow list, and you could look at mine, and probably make some, some might be wrong, but some might be pretty spot-on judgments about our influence. Maybe not what I'm going to say, think, do, but at least what's influencing me. 
Show me who you follow, and I show you how you're going to treat others. Show me who you follow, and I'll show you why you are so anxious. You might say, well, that's not true. It's scientifically proven that what you witness on Instagram is influencing your thoughts. If you're like, well, that's not true. I'm sorry. I love science, and I believe in it. It's scientifically proven that what you're following is influencing the way you're thinking. We all dress a certain way because someone decided this is how we all dress now. That's how it works. That's called influence. We don't like that because we think we're highly autonomous, but we're not as autonomous as we think that we are. Show me who you follow, and I'll show you why you are so anxious. I talk to people who are so anxious, being led into anxiety. I'm like, that's because you're, you're doing all, reading all this, watching all this. No wonder you're anxious. You know more about COVID than you do about the gospel. No wonder you're anxious. Show me who you follow, and I'll show you why you're so anxious. See, the world is broken, so even at our best as individuals, as influencers, whatever you might be, we, we can only lead people to a shadow of the substance. Here's what I mean. The substance of peace is God. And so often, because God is, is shining and showing his glory and his goodness on so many things, we'll see the shadow, whether that's like a kind act or a nice outreach, and we'll think like, oh yeah, that's the substance. But no, that's just something that caught the light well. But if you run after that thing, you're just running after the shadow. The substance is God. The substance of valuing others and all people equally is Christ. The shadow can be reflected in different ways depending on who you follow, what media you outlook, whatever. Lots of different ways, some for good, some for bad. But who you follow will influence you. And so in order to be led to true peace and peace in our soul, we have to follow the substance that is Jesus Christ. Psalm 23, 1 said, The Lord is my shepherd. Probably one of the most famous psalms. And yet it's famous for a very good reason. David writes, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Pause there for a second. Still waters. Sheep don't like to drink from rough waters. Why? Because they don't know what's in it. They don't like to be led by rough waters because it's scary. I, I think we might identify with sheep more now than ever before. Because some of you do not like to go to sleep tonight for worry of what's under the rough waters of tomorrow. And that is not to insult us, but to exemplify the shepherd who leads us beside still waters. To say, listen, 2020 has shown us as people to struggle with the fear of the unknown. And yet, how do I rest today not knowing tomorrow, not knowing what's under the under the water. It's by being led by the shepherd. What does it say the shepherd does? In verse 3 it says this, He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely the goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What a way to say, God, when you lead, I feel peace. And I feel peace regardless of my situation. Did you see that? You prepare a table for me, what? In the presence of my enemies. That's like one of my favorite lines in Scripture. 
It's not like, God, you get me out of my enemies, then you prepare a table. God, you get me to 2021, then there'll be peace in my life. Get me out of this year, get me out of this mask, get me out of this thing, then I'm going to feel peace. No, it's saying in the presence. How do you feel peace when all of these things are going on? How do you feel peace? It's because it comes solely through God. It comes solely through the Holy Spirit leading and guiding you. You know, I, I, when I came back from vacation, I was just so frustrated because I was like, man, I, I kind of thought I could get away and come back, and I knew not everything was going to be fine, but I didn't think it would just keep getting worse, and so I was just kind of in a state of frustration. You ever been in a state of frustration of the year? Like, I'm just frustrated, and when I was laying there, and I was thinking about uh, church, and I was thinking about life, I just thought, man, thank you, Lord, that right now I'm just going to say, God, I submit this day to you and receive the peace that comes from you. Sometimes I take that for granted. If you do not follow Jesus Christ, you don't know what that's like. But can I tell you, it's amazing. It's like, God, I submit this to you. I submit this day to you. I submit even this frustration. And I allow you to lead me and lead my heart. I know my pride wants me to lead everything. My pride wants me to, to do everything. My pride wants me to take the role of God over my life. But I'm going to say, you know what, God? I want you to lead because where you lead is still waters. Where you lead is peace. God, you know what's next. Can I tell you, I don't know what's next in 2020. We've had COVID, murder hornets, uh, race riots, all sorts of things. I don't know what's next. But what I believe will always be constant is that God leads us to places of peace. And so I don't lay awake afraid. I take captive every thought. And I say, God, lead me into peace. First thing, who leads you defines where you go. Second thing, who leads you defines your victory. This is important. Verse 13 says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Just as we pray, God, lead us not into temptation, we also pray for what? That second part, deliver us from evil. That's a powerful thing to pray. Deliver me from evil. That implies a couple things. When we say deliver me from evil, implies that there is some evil that we must be delivered from. We like to pretend that there's no evil. Everyone's inherently good. There's no struggle or difficulty because we're super postmodern and we're so smart. But surprise! <laughs> People are evil. Historically, if you like history, we talked about science. If you like history, you're going to have a hard time proving that they're not. Deliver us from evil. Oh, our kids are freaking out. It's awesome. Any competitive people here? Any competitive people? Be honest. Be honest here in church. Just this side of the room. Michelle, yeah, well, I knew that. <laughs> Everyone's elbowing somebody like, yeah, we have to tape board games so that you don't flip them. <laughs> like, you know that person? Anybody that's like, you won't start a game unless you know you can crush someone at it because you're that competitive, you're like, man, am I willing to sacrifice this relationship to win it? Sorry. I mean, it's called sorry. I don't know why they cry every time. <laughs> you ever feel that tension when you're playing board games with your kid? You're like, man, I could destroy them right now, but I won't. <laughs> And then you're like, sorry. <laughs> no, just me. Cool. Um, I'm a terrible person. That's all right. I, I think as competitive as we are, I think that sometimes we forget that there is a battle spiritually for your soul, that there is an enemy, that there is a Satan, that there is evil, that Satan is real, that he super hates you, he super hates your family, he super hates any kind of victory that could exist for your life. Satan super, super, super hates you. 
Like, he hates Alec. He hates that Alec leads worship because he took his old job. Satan used to lead worship in heaven before he fell. Now you have his job. You think he likes you? You're like, man, why are things so hard when I try to lead worship? Turns out you took his old job, and he's pissed. Right? Satan does not like you because we have an enemy. And Scripture tells us the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. That thief is the enemy. But what else does Scripture say? I came, meaning Jesus, that they may have life and have it abundantly. See, this is the good part. As powerful as our enemy is and doesn't want Alec to lead worship, even greater to an umpteenth degree is the power of the Most High God. God is undefeated. God has never lost a battle, and God never will. God is not able to be destroyed. The great postmodernist stood and said, we killed God. And Mao Zedong stood up in China and said, we killed God. And God said, really, I'm just going to happen to start the greatest church movement in the history of the world. It just <laughs> raised up millions of believers, right? That is what is amazing about God, that Jesus defeats death, hell, and the grave. And then when he defeats it, defeats our shame, defeats our sin, defeats the tomb, he rises again, and then he invites us into that victory. He could have just done it, but not only did he do it, he invites us into it. I think sometimes we forget that. See, our mission is so that all people can experience the freedom, and normally we stop there, but there's another part. The freedom and the power of a new life in Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 50, 57 says, But thanks be to God who gives us the glory through our Lord Jesus Christ. When we follow Christ, we walk in his victory, not only over sin, over death, but also the victory that comes through him today in the trials that we face. We walk in his victory. And I think so so often, unfortunately, we try to be victorious on our own strength and then, like, prove to God or, like, to our small group leader that we, like, deserve victory through Christ. You know, like, man, if I, if I just, like, didn't, you know, make mistakes anymore, then I'd be, like, victorious. Man, if I just, like, did this and I was this way and I was this kind of father, then I, then I would be it. Then, like, God would know me and remember me. And then it's like I make mistakes, and I don't feel like I did a good job as a dad today. And I sit there thinking, like, man, ah, I didn't really do, ah, man, I made it, ah, gosh, okay. So then I can't talk to God because I'm not, like, spiritually there, you know. And so I just feel distant, and I feel disappointed. And it's like, man, that's not what God wants at all. Jesus came to bring you victory. He said, first and foremost, you are my child. I have come for you. Second, I have given you not only freedom but power to walk with the Holy Spirit to do abundantly more than, than we could have ever imagined. I love David at some young age. He, even at the young age, he knew that the victory came through God. And David is a profoundly flawed person, so I find solace in his story because he deeply loved the Lord, yet he was deeply flawed. And, you know, David and Goliath is probably one of the best-known kind of narratives uh, maybe, maybe almost globally, though, you know, it breaks down the farther you get from kind of a Western epicenter. But the idea of David and Goliath, where David's a young man, and he goes, and he goes out to battle, and he sees the Israelites, and they're stacked up against this huge army, the Philistines, who wants to come and destroy him. They're under oppression, and they have this giant, this champion, who comes out and is just mocking them. And so they're hiding. Then you got this young kid, David, that shows up with some bread to kind of, you know, check up on his brothers. And they're like, he's like, I'm going to take him on. I'm going to fight him. I'm going to fight him for the Lord. So they load him up with everything that they think it takes to be successful in battle. 
They load them up with all of it, but in turn, it just ends up being a heavy weight because so often the things that the, the world thinks it takes to be successful just end up being a greater weight. When a rally, we need to take those things off and be led by God to walk in his victory, and that's what David did. He said, no, I don't need to wear this weight from the world. I can walk in what I believe God calls success, which is to be led by him. And so he takes his sling, which is a talent he had developed in faithful stewardship. That's a message for another day. And he goes out, and he faces the giant. And here's what he says. The giant's mocking the Lord. Here's what David says. This is when the Bible's kind of metal. It says, David said to the Philistine. Here we go. You guys ready? Oh, that hurt. You guys ready? Ready. Okay. You come to me with a sword and the spear and a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Remember, tiny, young man, nine foot tall, soldier giant. Here's what he says. This is the day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you down, cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air, to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know there is a God in Israel, and that the assembly may know that the Lord saves not with a sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. And so here's my PG version. He hits him with the sling, goes down, takes the sword, probably two-handed, just, you know, that's the best noise I can make and not get canceled by YouTube. Um, you know, takes the head, then he dances it through the street, which is a pretty balling move. So David, tiny, stone sling, young man, strong still, obviously, fought off lions and bears, slays the seasoned soldier. Why? Because David knew something. Who leads you defines your victory. I'm not saying if you had more faith, you would defeat everything in your life and therefore never have problems again. Like, just have faith and you'll never face difficulty. That's not what Jesus says at all. He says, in this world you will have trouble. But what does he say? But take heart. For I have overcome the world. See, when you walk with Christ, you walk in the freedom and the power that comes through him. He has given you authority, but it's a mutual authority that comes with being led in relationship with him. Luke 10, 19 says, Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and all over the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. And we like to stop there because it sounds super cool. Like, yeah, let's go crush some scorpions. But this next part is equally important. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Do you see the priority? Rejoice first that you belong intimately with God, and that cannot be stolen or taken. When you follow God and are led by him, he leads you, but he has also given you great power to trample on the evil things. You're like, wait, we're going to go step on some scorpions? No, we are not. <laughs> this is a metaphor. The serpent in your life might be the lies of enemy that have been whispered into your ear. The scorpion might be the poison of lust, greed, envy, the things that constantly come. 
the evil things that come against you. The giant might be depression, some sort of spiritual oppression, past abuse, past pain. There are giants in your life that you face daily. And so we constantly try to fight this giant. And then as we're falling under the weight of it, we say, Lord, help us. And yet what if we flipped it and said, God, lead us. And in leading us, he leads us in victory over the giants that have tried to destroy your family and destroy your home and destroy your future and the giants that try to destroy this nation, disunity and brokenness and anger and hate and hurt and pain. Who you follow will decide your victory. If we as a people follow Christ, we will walk in his victory as a people, as a nation, as a city. And I know we always try to break something down and be like, well, what about this? What about this? I can't solve every problem every day, but I can say if we as a people walked in the victory of Jesus Christ, it would at least change us and the people around us. And that's an awesome start to say who leads you defines where you go, but it will also define how you end up, the victory that you walk in. Ephesians 6, 12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. When we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, we're praying, God, lead us so that we might not only walk in the victory that comes through the resurrection and dying to ourselves daily, but lead us that we might have victory over the giants that have come to crush our families, the giant of addiction. The giant of depression, the giant of oppression, spiritual oppression. Have you sensed it in the nation that there is spiritual oppression over it? Have you sensed it? Because it's here. And yet God is greater, and his victory is greater, and you are called to walk in that victory when you follow Christ. And so if you pray, God, lead me. I'm tired of trying to earn my way into victory. I just want to be led by you humbly. All of a sudden, it flips. It switches the order, and you become more like David than Goliath, walking in the fullness under the weight of only God, not the weight of the world. Can we be honest, church? That's a scary thing to ask the Holy Spirit to lead you. Like, if we were just, like, blatantly obvious, it's really easy to just, like, speak loudly and do, say things and just be like, I'm going to do whatever I want, and then if it doesn't work, I'll do this. It's really hard to say, like, Holy Spirit, lead me, right? Like, I mean, I mean, like, practically lead me. Like, Holy Spirit, help lead my family. I don't understand my children. Holy Spirit, lead me in this very unique world. I need wisdom, not fear. Lead me. Holy Spirit, lead me in a constantly complex uh, society that we live in. Lead me in a culture. Can I tell you as a pastor, I pray God lead me in cancel culture because I, I don't know if I'm going to say something that one of you guys is going to then like tweet out and like I just can't be a pastor anymore because I offended you because I said something wrong. Like spoiler alert, I say dumb things all the time. Like, I'm probably going to get canceled. <laughs> Do you ever pray that though? It's scary. Lord, lead me. Lead me. Lead me, God. You know, when my wife and I were praying about moving here to, to Arizona, we just felt led. You know, we had, had taken this campus and had invested so much of our life into raising up this campus, and we we're so happy to, to go from, you know, 60 people in, a, in like a little school, and then we were like at like 450 just at this one campus. It was a multi-campus church, you know, moving into a building, and I like literally slept on these rafters in this terrible, ugly dome building, and they would wake up and paint. It was 
It was awful. Um, <laughs> but we prayed. We're like, God, we're finally here again. We feel you stirring us. And I feel like God spoke both to me and my wife, and he said, I want you to live a life that's only definable by the Holy Spirit. And so I, I, I like to journal a notebook, and so I, I went into my journal, and I wrote out things, and I pulled them out this week. And I opened up, and I just happened to see written over and over in that season of my life was this phrase, legacy of faith. Legacy of faith. What does that mean, legacy of faith? It means this. I'm a broken person, and I'm going to make mistakes, especially as a father. Like, there's just days I'm like, ah, I probably wasn't a great dad today. But when the rubber meets the road, when it really counts, I want to be so led by the Holy Spirit that when, they, when my kids look back on my life, they cannot explain my life without the Holy Spirit being a central piece. To take him out would make my life inexplainable. You just wouldn't, the pieces wouldn't go together. They wouldn't fit. They wouldn't work if you took that one piece out. If you took Jesus out, if you took the Holy Spirit moving out, if you took that out, it wouldn't make sense. So by the nature of my life, whether it's long or short, successful in the world's terms or not, you would look at it and say, there is the active presence of God moving. There is the mercy. There is the power. There is the freedom. And there is the presence. That's a legacy of faith. And I said, listen, my, my, I know I'm going to make mistakes. I know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have issues and problems. I know I'm not going to do everything perfect. I know I'm going to yell at my kids someday as much as I would love to say that I've never done that. I, I've, I've gone to bed thinking like, gosh, I'm such a bad dad, right? I know that, but yet when I look at the legacy of faith I leave, I pray, God, may my life only be explainable by the power of the Holy Spirit. May it be an inescapable piece of my life so that at least my life might be a testimony to your existence and your truth. Never too late to start that, just so you know. It could be 95. It's never too late to start a legacy of faith. This is why it's important. Who leads you? defines your legacy. Who leads you defines your legacy. My kids, they watch what I do. Um, Henry got these Spider-Man pajamas, and they're so cute. And uh, I was in, and I decided, Katie was like, what are you going to wear for Father's Day? And I was like, well, I don't know. Let me go look. And I looked in my closet, and it was like, black t-shirt, black t-shirt, church shirt, church shirt, church shirt, church shirt, 1980s Miracle on Ice hockey jersey. I'm like, that's what I'm wearing. Like, I dress nice for Mother's Day. I'm going to dress like this for Father's Day. <laughs> But I was there, and I was rolling up my sleeves because it's a 1980s hockey jersey, and if not, I'll get this, like, crazy underarm thing going. You know what I'm talking about. Um, I was rolling my sleeves, and Henry comes up next to me, and he starts trying to roll his little sleeves up in his Spider-Man jammies. And I was like, this is the cutest thing on earth. And I just watched him try for, like, five minutes unsuccessfully, and it was so cute. <laughs> but I think about that. My kids watch me. You know what? Henry's not going to remember COVID. He's not going to remember it. But he will remember how I respond. Lucy, she's going to be sick soon. She's not going to remember the, the, the um, she's not going to remember probably the death of George Floyd. She's not going to remember the protest. She's not going to remember the riot. She's not going to remember issues in policing. She's not going to remember uh, what people posted online. She's not going to remember any of those things. She might be taught them. Hopefully she'll learn and grow and, and be in knowledge and we'll teach her. But she's not going to remember. You know what she's going to remember? She's going to remember how I treated others. 
She's not going to care what meme I sent out. She's going to care and see, did he speak as Jesus Christ? And she's going to weigh the words I said, hopefully, against the word of God. I would hope that she's a strong spiritual woman, and she would look back and weigh my words against the words of Jesus. And that weighs on me, heavy as a father. I think carefully, how am I influencing my kids? How am I influencing them? Galatians 5, says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there are no law. In order to model these things for my kids that are watching me, I need to be led by the Spirit. Those are the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of hard work. They're the fruit of the Spirit. And this is the reality. In order to lead little Henry and his little PJs rolling up his sleeves, to lead him well, I must be led well. Philippians 4.12 says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You might be saying, that's great, but I'm single. This, I don't have kids. No one's there in the mirror rolling up PJs looking at me. And if they were, it'd be weird. <laughs> I'm single. What does that mean? Listen, it doesn't matter if you're a single, empty nester. It doesn't matter if you're a, a grandparent and you haven't seen your family. It doesn't matter. Every single person has the capability to influence others around them. You have the capability to influence others. Single people... Uh, Maybe, maybe, I'm not saying this is the case, but just maybe God loves you and cares for you enough that he needs to teach you how to be led before he trusts you with someone to lead. Maybe he loves your future spouse, young single men. You're supposed to be the leader of your family. Maybe he loves that girl enough to not trust her to you yet because you need to learn to lead and be led before you get somebody that could be collateral damage. That might not be you, but if it hits home, take it home, pray about it, send me an angry email later. Maybe you're like, I don't have kids. I'm single in my 50s. I'm, I might never have kids. Listen, your legacy is not your children. Your legacy is the choices you make in following God. You might have kids that you try to influence that want nothing to do with the truth of Jesus Christ. That doesn't affect your legacy. Your legacy is your response to Jesus Christ. It is what you are doing, not what others are doing. Very important. If you have kids that have walked away from the faith, you are not a failure. Your legacy is not a failure. You have not, like, missed the mark of Ben Van Parent or something. I'm talking about you only have a responsibility to what you can do in being led by God. And that you are beautiful and precious in his sight. And he loves every moment where you press into him and receive what he has for you. And I think legacy is such an important word. Because if I say leadership, some people will go, well, I'm not a leader. And we feel like they're like, well, I'm, I'm not a leader. I'm not going to lead anybody. That's why legacy is important. Because you are influencing or could influence someone. You have that capacity or you currently have that responsibility. Legacy can be as simple as silently providing groceries to a family in need. They might never know who you are or your name or your status. They might not even know that you follow Jesus. I know that's a crazy thing to say in church, but turns out just doing what Jesus did for people is your goal and your aim. 
and then the Holy Spirit leads and directs. Your legacy might be showing strength. Your legacy might be showing compassion. Your legacy might be being the first person in your family who's anything that resembles consistent. Your legacy might be sacrifice in a culture of selfishness. Your legacy might be rather than being the kind of person that works for the weekend, I'm going to be the kind of person that serves my neighborhood every weekend and is so consistent in meeting the needs of those around me that when I'm not there on a Saturday, people are like, where are you? Where are you? Because they so desperately love and care for you. Legacy is influencing and being inconvenienced by others. There's so many ways to make a legacy. I know my, my brother Ty works with Teen Challenge. That's a legacy, brother. Now, it's a blessing for you because it's some just amazing men of God. But it's a legacy, and it's something that passes down to your children. And I honor you for that, man. I honor you for your faithfulness and serving in kids and serving faithfully, serving my kids. Like, you have a legacy here because of your faithfulness. And I think our church is full of people like that. And I want to tell you, that is the beautiful thing about Jesus. As you follow Jesus, you say, I'm not extraordinary. I'm not amazing. Perfect. You're exactly who he's looking for. He's just looking for humble. He's just looking for hungry. He's just looking for available. To say, listen, God, lead me. And as you lead me, I know it might be uncomfortable. I know it might be 110 degrees, and I hate that. But God, lead me, guide me. And I trust as you lead me and guide me that you will do more with my life than I could ever ask or imagine. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. James 4, 6 or 8 says, but he gives more grace. Bang, you can come up. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, purify your hearts. I'm sorry, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Final line of the prayer, I think, sums up this whole thing. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's a form. God, we recognize that you are holy. And so we ask you to do your will here in my life as, as it reigns in authority in heaven. You have authority in my life. And so I say, I trust you with provision. I say, I release my bitterness and I, and I choose to forgive others. I say, God, lead me in a way that might walk intimately with you and so be led to peace. Not only for myself, but for others. May I reflect the peace that I have received. How do I do that? How do I be led by God? Well, it's a state of the heart. Repentance is about a shift. It's a change of heart, change of mind. It's a transformation. To be led by God, we have to submit our heart to God. We have to say, God, I'm done being God of my life. And I ask you to lead me. I want to do da-da-da-da-da, but I'm going to trust you to lead me. That sounds really easy. But it's a little harder in practice, and yet it's always good because it always leads to peace. Not only do we have to submit our heart to God, we have to daily pray, lead me. We say here that you say yes to Jesus when you choose to follow him. But we very importantly say, it is one of many yeses you will say to Jesus constantly. 
Like daily, you got to say yes to Jesus. Yes, Jesus, I will allow you to lead me, Holy Spirit, even though I want to grab this wheel and just wrench it over here to this on-ramp. Like, get me off this road. I'm going to take control here. Jesus, take the wheel, but not right now. God, lead me. Lead me. Lead me. Lead me. I'm walking into a situation. God, lead me. I'm waking up in the morning. God, lead me. I'm laying down at night, wondering what's going to come next. I mean, honestly, what's next after everything? I, I don't know. It's been better. It's been worse. God, lead me. Lead me. Lead me. It's a simple phrase. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us. Lead us. Lead us. And yet it is so powerful because who leads you, I promise you, in 2020, who leads you will decide and define where you go. Who leads you will define your victory. And who leads you will define your legacy. It doesn't matter if you're 15 or 85. Who leads you will define the legacy you leave. Would you stand with me? I want to pray for you this morning. I want to give you a chance to respond. The band's going to sing this song called Champion. And I like this song because it declares the authority of God, which is what we're talking about walking in. Walking in the authority and the victory of God. And so I know sometimes, especially if you're watching online, a natural thing is kind of click away or check out, wait for the end. Got to go get that Father's Day lunch, get your brats, all that stuff. But I want to encourage you. We say as a worship team, don't shut down, press in. So I'm going to say to you today, don't shut down, press in. I want to pray for you very, very simply this, that you would make a choice today. Maybe it's another yes. Maybe it's the first one to say, yes, Jesus, would you lead me? Lead me to a place of peace. Lead me in your victory and help me lead others. Help me lead others today. I want to pray for you. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Then our band is going to lead us in this song. Jesus, I pray right now. First, I pray for every father, every grandfather, every uncle, every foster dad, stepdad, everyone who assumes the role of fatherhood. And I pray a mighty peace as they carry a weight of leadership in unknown times. So many fathers and father figures desire security and safety for their family, and yet it is a time of lots of insecurity. And so I pray first and foremost, every father would be secured in you, God, that you would remind them as many times as they feel like they don't measure up, that you would remind them that your love is not marked by their ability to measure up, but that your love is unconditional and is for them and that you are near them in this moment. We thank you for your nearness. But God, I pray right now, and in fact, if you're in this place and you're saying, I just, I'm going to make that choice of Jesus lead me, Jesus guide me, guide me in peace, guide me in your victory. Just put yourself in a posture that is giving and receiving. So maybe your arms out or over your heart, something that says, I'm here, Jesus. I want to pray for you, Lord. I just thank you that you are near to us. Holy Spirit, that you are with us, that we don't have to say, Holy Spirit, come, because you are already here with us in this moment, present with us. And in being present with us, you are moving in our hearts and our lives. And so in this moment, we desire to follow Jesus, to walk in accordance with your word and the word of God and the word that is Jesus, to walk with you in the truth that you are. But God, we know so often our pride gets in the way of seeking your presence in our day. Daily life. 
So we submit and repent of our pride. We repent of our desire to be God over our life. And we choose instead to press into you and say, Lord, lead us. For those who are struggling with anxiety, being led by every kind of thing pulling each way, being struggling in their bills and struggling in what's unknown and struggling what's coming, struggling with feeling isolated, the depression that comes with isolation. God, first and foremost, I release the lie of enemy of the enemy of shame that comes through the depression that comes over isolation. And instead we pray it broken, that you would break depression over every life in the name of Jesus and release them into joy. But God, I pray as we follow you, you would lead us into peace. Lead us into peace. And God, that we would walk in your victory. God, as those given the authority to speak to things that aren't as they are. God, that it's not name it and claim it, but it is so clear that, that you have given us through prayer the power of the prophetic to pray that there would be peace where there is unrest, to pray there be joy where there is only mourning, to pray that there would be freedom where there is chains, to pray that there would be release where there is oppression. We thank you right now in the name of Jesus. For every person here that as we choose to say, Jesus, lead me. As we worship you in the song and say, Jesus, you are my champion. God, you are my champion. Lead me. God, that we not only establish in our lives, but we leave a legacy for the next generation and for those to follow and for our city and for our nation to say, God, you are good. You lead us to peace. You lead us to wholeness. And so, God, we worship you in the fullness of who you are. And we say, God, would you be present with us, here with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.